I'm going to really practice not making assumptions about any of these candidates' tech ability based on their age. Because I know that's a bias I have based on how good my parents are at tech, right? Based on how good my nieces are at tech, right? And so it's not being like wholly uninformed, but it's saying, hey, I know I have to watch myself while we talk about these folks because I've never met them and I already have opinions. This is the Rebel HR Podcast, the podcast where we talk to HR innovators about all things people leadership. If you're looking for places to find about new ways to think about the world of work, this is the podcast for you. Please subscribe from your favorite podcast listening platform today and leave us a review. Rebel on, HR Rebels. All right, Rebel HR listeners, welcome back to the Rebel HR Podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. Really, really excited for our guests. We have two guests, so I am outnumbered, but I am excited about the content today. With us, we have Trina C. Olson and Alfonso Wenker. They are the authors of Hiring Revolution, a guide to disrupt racism and sexism in hiring. Uh, They are also a part of Team Dynamics, which is a national race and gender justice firm providing training, coaching, and strategy support for workers and workplaces. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here. Well, I'm extremely excited, and uh, you know, I, I get a lot of podcast guest pitches. But uh, when I saw uh, what you two were doing, and and when I read about the book, um, I said, "Oh yeah, we need to talk," uh, because I think this is really pertinent to our listeners and 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 pertinent uh, to to myself and my organization as well. So, really excited for the conversation uh, today. So, I, I want to start out uh, maybe by just asking. Uh, a little bit of what interested you both in writing a book about a hiring revolution. Yeah, so this was not the book we thought we would write first. I don't know that we necessarily thought that we would become authors, but um, y'all kept asking. So being folks that work in diversity, equity, and inclusion, I would say the most popular, the most frequent, the most urgent question that comes into our inboxes and on our inquiry form on our website is, how can I diversify my search? Hmm. And oftentimes, folks are talking about paying women and promoting women more and just finding more available workers of color. And so the book was sort of born a little bit out of irritation. Like, (laughs) we want to have a big conversation about culture change and organizational transformation and evolution. And here's this very specific question that keeps coming in. And for our ages, um, we have hired more than people who are younger than 50 would normally have hired Trina, having worked in 18 different states on ballot measure campaigns, so you sort of build up a team, you close the team, you move to the next state, you work on the next issue. I ran a fellowship program where we had 150 applicants every year for five years, placing people for six different jobs. So we had all these tips and tricks, a lot of it, stuff that we were forced to do that we knew if we did differently, we could actually find different talent. So we had all these anecdotes and stories. And so we would try to quickly in a 15-minute call or a 200-word blog post talk about these things. And it became really clear that folks needed the wholesale revolution, that um, quick fixes at one point in the process weren't going to work. 
um, but that the whole way that in the U.S. workforce, the way that we think about everything from recruitment to interviewing to making the offer was completely wrong. Um, it's not the steps that are wrong. We still have to recruit people and then interview them and then make make an offer, but it's how we were doing it. And the premise really was everything about how we hire creates a preference for white people and for men. This isn't about saying we don't ever want to hire white people and men again, but we've created a whole structure that says, here's who will win most of the time. Absolutely. Um, You know, and I think it's, I think it's really interesting that, you know, the fact that you, you called out that this is a structure, that this is a, you know, it's a structural issue, right? Um, But within that structure can be a lot of emotions and, and, you know, I, I certainly can recall some times where we were going through some structural change in our recruiting practices and some of that, you know, maybe that latent fear of change and maybe fear that, you know, the, white men will lose some of their leverage um, within an organization. And, and when when those are the individuals who are primarily in power in an organization, that can be an interesting um, and challenging thing for HR to navigate. So kind of walk me through uh, the foundation of going beyond a quick fix and, and going into kind of that systemic uh, procedural change that's necessary. Yeah. Thanks for naming that. There are really big feelings associated with who is ever going to be on your team and what team are you ever going to be a part of, right? So we live in the U.S. For most of us, a lot of our sense of self-worth, our purpose comes through our job, our vocation, our calling, the way we want to make a difference, but also very tangibly, our healthcare, (laughs) our finances in order to have housing and food and take care of folks, right? So um, our livelihood is really inextricably linked with who gets hired where and who gets promoted where, right? And so our book on purpose really walks through the material, relational, and symbolic um, barriers, that we all are going to have to disentangle in order to stop believing any of the binary truisms that we were handed that aren't true, right? So this idea that somebody's going to lose if people of color and women can feed themselves and be taken seriously. That's not true. (laughs) Nobody's going to lose by that happening. The fact is we have folks whose basic Maslow's hierarchy of needs are not being met. And it's not because anybody is incompetent or incapable. It's because we have 400 years plus of racism and misogyny telling us people are fundamentally less capable and it's not true. So it really is the thing about when we looked at hiring to see if like, could we just do tweaks? That'd be easier, right? Could we just like adjust or turn the dial to the left 90 degrees? But what we realized around recruitment and hiring is that our programming, so that's how Alfonso and I teach and talk about at Team Dynamics, the brain science of bias, is we are all being inundated with messages constantly of who is better than and who is worse than, who is more capable, who is more intelligent, who is more fun who is more friendly. Like we're just being 
fed those messages. And so our job as adults is to wrestle with the programming, right? And so we really walk through step-by-step that bias is hiding in plain sight and things that have now been called a standard or are deemed professional. And so we would like the revolution to be the new standard. Well, there's a lot of like awesome content in there. So like, um, and We've thought about this for a long time. Yeah, clearly, yeah. <laughs> if you, you should can write imagine, a book. we're both oh, wait, holding back on our answer. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's perfect. But, um, you know, if, if I can, I, I don't think we have time to unpack everything you just said, because there's so much truth in there. But, you know, one of the things that really stood out in, in, in what you just shared, and I'm sure the, the book expands upon this quite a bit, but, you know, it's that difference between, you know, that, that, fear or that scarcity mindset that there's not enough to go around or, you know, if, if somebody else is elevated in society, then what about me? You know, kind of that, like the ego that gets in the way of making it a better functioning society and helping everybody, um, as you said, meet their, you know, their Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think, I think that's a great call out and, you know, I, I do wish that it, w- it were simple. I mean, it would be great if there were just, you know, all we need to do is tweak this, tweak that, you know, you just need to go in for a tune up on your systems and then, you know, and then hit start. But it's so much deeper than that, um, as, as you both know. So when we talk about kind of that systemic change, are we really talking about um, cultural change? Are you talking, I mean, where do you start with that big challenge with that big question. Well, in in part one of our book, which um, Trina talks a lot about and was really the leader in doing the research in part one of our book, we really situate ourselves in just the current disparities. So who is and isn't getting hired, who is and isn't getting paid well, who is and isn't getting promoted. So we just situate ourselves in the reality that if you're having a hard time believing the issue is structural, let's take a look at a couple of data points. So let's look at how long pay parity will be for white women, women of color. Let's look at who gets promoted and who doesn't, right? So if anyone's having a hard time imagining that this is structural, not personal, there's plenty of data in the book to just play with. The other thing that we introduce in the book, and this shows up in part two, which is really the elements of the process, is, you know, you talk about simple, Kyle, and I would actually say the shifts are simple, but they're not easy mm. because they're so ingrained, right? So the things that we'll, we would ask you to do are things like, don't talk about how much you liked or disliked someone, right? Only have a rule that we're only going to discuss our perception of whether or not this person seems capable of doing the task at hand, right? Simple task, hard to do, right? Mm. So it's about behavioral shifts that become our new culture of how we do hiring. So much of hiring has become sort of this dog and pony show, a pageant of who can really give good interview, which is a really different skill set than are you ready, willing, and able to do the job we need you to do? And so not only have we given preference to extroverts 
or people that really like public performance, we're then measuring people against a rubric that almost has nothing to do with what the job actually is. So instead of saying we have a way that we do hiring, in part two of the book, we say, ask yourself, what do we need to learn about this person that we don't already know? So it might not be three rounds of six-hour interviews with 40 different people. It might be a writing sample. It might be, give us an example speech, because this is a public speaking role. It might be, demonstrate us that demonstrate to us that hyper-technical or scientific skill set that you have that we need you to be able to do at this job. So we've preferenced sitting still, smiling and performing in front of a group of strangers. And the ways in which we code who's really good at that are really linked to how people perform masculinity. So did they have a low voice that was pleasing to hear, right? Um, Do they have a button-up shirt where they're wearing slacks? And then we preference all these things that are relative to whiteness. Well, could I understand them? What was their sort of slang or colloquial speech? Um, Do they feel like they'd really fit in? So we have all these questions and rubrics, usually that the the candidate doesn't know about, that aren't anything to do with their ability to do the job. So it's simple shifts that are going to be hard to do because we're just so used to, well, I like this performance. It was nice to watch them speak. This isn't a public speaking job. So why is it was nice to listen to them speak, even something we're measuring? Why is that even on the table for discussion? So it's going to be hard to say, hey, Trina, you know, three times in the meeting, you talked about how it was to listen to them. This is a copywriting job. They're primarily going to be redlining legal copy. Um, So we're not going to talk about what it felt like to hear them. We're going to actually go back to their writing sample and and see if they found seven out of 10 of the typos we needed them to find. That's hard to do because I care about Trina, but it's a simple shift. This episode is brought to you by Namely. With workforces continuing to evolve, it's more important than ever to keep in pace with the nature of business. But it can be even harder to stay ahead and keep employees connected and engaged. That's why you need Namely, the all-in-one HR solution that offers everything you need to set you up for success in the new year so you can tackle any curveballs that 2022 throws your way. Namely helps you easily adapt to the ever-changing workplace and maintain a great employee experience, whether you have 50 or 1,000 employees. With onboarding, performance management, and intuitive benefits enrollment, all in one connected and modern platform. Plus, Namely can streamline your payroll, time tracking, and vacation requests, so you can be everyone's favorite Rebel HR leader, no matter how your company grows. Companies are built on people. Don't let either fail. Stay ahead and learn more about making the switch to Namely. Namely Namely.com. Don't wait. That's Namely.com. Yeah, I think you just just said something that... uh you know, it was a little bit of a light bulb moment for me and something I haven't really thought about, but, um, you know, I mean, you, you made the comment that it's, you know, it's, it's kind of coded in masculinity and and whiteness as far as the, you know, the interview uh, as a whole. And I, I, you know, I'm reflecting back on, yeah, I mean the, you know, you have to, you're supposed to wear a specific type of suit. You're supposed to speak a certain way. You're supposed to have a certain level of, of confidence and they all 
reflect what society thinks a a professional man should do right there's you know it's um it, it it's interesting to think about in that context i don't know that i've thought about that you know down to the our expectations of clothing um but it really is and i you know i'm the first to admit so i've i've, I've probably hired a couple thousand people in my career um you know an interview is a terrible way to pick a good candidate <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and I, I, um, you know, when when I go through an interview process, if I if I'm not thoughtful and methodical about going into the interview, and I'm not prepared, you know, somebody will ask me, you know, what do you think? And my honest answer, a lot of times, is I'm not really sure. You know, the interview didn't really tell me whether this person could perform this job or not. It told me whether or not I liked this person, or we we had a good connection to start. But I mean, I can't tell you how many wonderful interviews I've had. And they've been terrible fits for the team, or maybe they didn't have the skills that we needed. And I can also tell you, I have an equal number of people who were terrible interviews, but we gave them an opportunity to succeed and they blew our socks off, you know? And, and I think most HR people, um, have those experiences. And, um, so is part of this change is part of this being honest with ourselves as HR practitioners that we're just not as good as we think we are at interviewing? So uh, close. So I think part of what we're saying is we know as much as we can about a person new to us. When do we know enough to give the person a try? Hmm. So for us, right, if we compare it to dating, (laughs) right, it's like, okay, cool. You asked enough questions to feel like, sure, it's worth the conversation, right? You asked, you had enough conversations that you thought, sure, it's worth going on a date, right? So I think the, the lie we've told ourselves for too long is we can guarantee if we create this really onerous process that we will always 100% of the time pick perfect, right? And that's part of what we're trying to get out of people too, is we're not trying to find a soulmate. We're trying to find a colleague. So how do we drop the, there is a best candidate and instead say, we're now talking to five adults, all of whom could do this job. They would all do it different because of who they are and how they are and the experience they have. So given our current context, which one do we want to give the shot to this time? Right. And so I think we talk a lot in the book about how do we move from rank ordering human beings to actually compare and contrast. And so we've hidden behind Likert scales or performances or um, multiple rounds of really redundant interviews or questions. And that's been called some version of due diligence. When in fact, it's a waste of your time, it's a waste of the candidate's time, it doesn't actually guarantee a different result. So I think some of your listeners and some of our readers are surprised to learn that we have found, because obviously we practice what we preach, this is how we hire our team at Team Dynamics. Um, If you follow the hiring revolution, your life will get way more efficient, right? Because we're not going to keep in all of the garbage that doesn't get us closer to our goal. But again, we, we hide behind it to say, okay, cool. We had a whole committee. So everybody together voted with their biases and we decided a biased answer, but look at, we all took a vote and call it democracy, right? Or we did three rounds or we had people have coffee. And Kyle, one of the things that's interesting because at Team Dynamics right now, 
we work across 11 different sectors. So we get to notice patterns around the country, right? So sectors that never interact with each other. And one of the things we noticed, right? And so we talk about it a lot in the book is bodies, right? So this idea of who is and isn't just perceived as a strong and capable leader. And so we have people go through some bias exercises, but we share real life stories of what it's like when a man who has broad shoulders and is six foot two goes into an interview and an Asian Pacific Islander woman who's five foot one and who's just perceived as the stronger leader. Mm. Right. And that's about bodies, <laughs> which to be clear, none of us decided how tall we were going to get. <laughs> that was not a choice any of us made. And it has literally nothing to do with our intellect. And because, you know, this is an audio format for folks who don't know, I'm a white woman. Alfonso is a man of color. So also as he and I share how we've experienced our experience differently because of people's perceptions of our bodies and our capacity. That's, that's fascinating. Um, and, and, you know, I can't help but reflect on some of the research that, you know, tall white men hold more leadership positions than short men, or obviously, you know, there's way too much, uh, evidence of people of color and women not holding those types of leadership roles, but it is, I mean, that, that has to be a bias, right? I mean, as a society, (laughs) if we, if we don't admit that, then we're, we're just not looking. Um, and we talk about it as professionalism or leadership presence. Right. Um, and part of how we in the book have people start to notice all the ways in which even with the best goals and the best values and the best intentions, we still make some of those decisions. So we say, okay, look at this list of traits. No one's ever going to see this. Be really honest, bald or having hair, short or tall heavy or thin, right? Just going through. And then notice the compilation of things that you would just prefer, even though they don't align with with your values, with your goals, with the intentions that you have. And so we have folks in the book just take that self-inventory and say, remember, all of that preference that you have comes into the conversation about candidates that you would recruit, candidates that you would move along in a process, candidates that you would ultimately make a job offer to. So that comes with you. So you've got to have a plan to do what we call notice, name, and navigate. So you can remember it because it's three ends: notice, name, and navigate. And be courageous enough to say, I've noticed that when we talk about the candidates that are men, we talk about their leadership presence. I've noticed that when we talk about the candidates who are women, we talk about how likable or friendly they would be or how they would get along with people. That feels incongruent with some goals we have. We seem to have created a different rubric across lines of gender. Let's reset, go back, and discuss these candidates based on the agreed-upon rubric that we had rather than some of our notions of who's a leader and who's likable. So I noticed, I see this pattern, we're talking about different genders differently. I'm going to name it because if I don't, we might just keep doing it. I'm not going to wait and do it in the hallway. I'm not going to like write an email and say like, I'm worried that we might not be following the rules. Is something wrong? I'm going to name it. And naming explicitly sometimes can be to a colleague to say, hey, I saw this. Can you help me have this conversation with the group? If I'm feeling courageous enough, I might just say it right. And then we decide what are we going to do differently? 
It's just true. None of us are in trouble. We haven't broken the law yet. Um, it's just true. So we've got 30 more minutes in the meeting. Could we try talking about these candidates a different way, right? Um, but the only way we can do that if, is if going in, one, I know some of the preferences that I have, and two, we have an agreement that it's okay to do the naming part. Yeah, and then we're we're kind of coming full circle because talk about the potential to be emotional or or hard for somebody to you know to to digest. But you know the the way that you just laid that out, um, and you even used the word you know it's just true, right? It's it's not it, it. I could see how that could immediately deescalate the 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 ego response and the you know kind of your low lower thinking self from thinking, oh, you're calling me, you know, a bigot. Um, and and shifting that into, hey, I this is what I observed. You know, it, here's here's what um I I think is not fitting with what we want to do here. And then and then, you know, kind of putting the team on a path to figure that out. So um no, I think uh if you didn't catch that, that was notice name uh, and navigate. One of the things I will say too, if you're, um, I'm sure you're probably already thinking, oh, I got to grab this book. But uh, if you look on the website, there's also a ton of different resources that you could actually take from the book and put to practice within uh, your your HR practices as well. So, um, so I do want to uh, circle back to something you started to talk about, Trina, and I have I have some views on this, but I'm curious to hear what your research found on the hiring committee, you know, the democratic process of selection and, uh, and, and all the fun that HR gets to have trying to navigate those things sometimes. And so, so as you were going through the process of writing this book and in some of your experience and research, you know, what, what actually works as far as the structure of a hiring committee, um, you know, kind of that democratic process of making sure that a, a lot of a number of different people have a voice uh, in the hiring decision. Yeah, it's it's a great question because it's a new pattern, right? And so, Alphonse and I really view a hiring committee obsession as an overcorrection to what used to feel like singular individuals in a secretive way would make random decisions and we don't know how they got there. Mm. Right. So the intent makes sense. So Alfonso's Catholic. We talk about how it used to feel like the Pope, right. Where it'd be like white smoke came out and we hired somebody. We're like, how did that happen? I don't know. We weren't invited. Right. Um, so we understand that, that there is a reaction to that saying, yeah, that, that wasn't great. <laughs> and so we agree with that wholeheartedly. Right. The challenge is um, what's happened instead is really, really sloppy organizing of people. And so um, folks are getting tokenized constantly. So people of color, women, LGBT folks, folks of different um, religious backgrounds are getting pulled in to uh, job prospecting when they have absolutely nothing to do with that job. Right. And no way to be able to run candidates through rubric for a job they've never had. Right. We also refuse to acknowledge we are all bringing our bias in. Not only does being in a group not eliminate our bias or just like magically wash it away, 
it can sometimes exacerbate our bias because now we're in agreement that our biased idea is a really good one because three of us found that candidate to be our quote unquote favorite. So what we talk about throughout the book is each hire should be done in context and with intention. So absolutely, there are times when I hire at our own company when it's a job I know how to do or have done. So I really am an expert in being able to figure out if somebody's ready. Then there's times at our very own company that we're hiring for a skill set I don't have. So I do need somebody in the room with me, not during the whole process, at certain critical moments to say, can you check this technical writing? Can you look at that bank statement that they you know, gave us an example of, right? When it's something web-related or tech-related that I don't have. I know the questions that I have, but I'm not the one with the technical expertise, right? So part of just what we ask is, why is anybody here... <laughs> What specifically are they being asked to do or um, sign off on or check or double check? And where is it that we're not being honest about our own embarrassment that we have a super homogenous team? So we're doing something to just sort of fill it in with more kinds of people so that essentially we can get a pat on the back from people of color or women or somebody else to say, yeah, yeah, it was okay. And the way we talk about our process is you're going to end up hiring all sorts of kinds of people. That's great. What we want you to do is feel really good about the process so that if you end up hiring a white person, you end up hiring a man, you end up hiring, you know, somebody of the same generation of you. Great. Cool. Right. But we want you to have felt so good about the process that, you know, you got there sort of honestly. And so people are under the incorrect belief that committees will eliminate bias. That's just not true. And so the answer isn't black or white, don't have them or have them. It's who needs to be in which part of the process this time with a clear why attached. And then whenever you are gathered, you have a practice of all acknowledging how your bias is going to show up in the room. Right. And so what's nice is team dynamics is growing on purpose. So Alfonso and I were just working on a job of posting yesterday. So we're living this constantly and being able to say, okay, cool. So given the specificity of this job, who on our team is going to be part of at which points, right? So this is something we do regularly. And again, it makes your life more efficient rather than having random committees for committee's sake. Everybody is called in with precision rather than sloppily. And good news, all those questions Trina just asked are outlined in our Hiring Helpers Inventory. It's in the book, but it's also on the HiringRevolutionBook.com resources page. Absolutely. I, I can't tell you how many times it's, um, you know, I've had the conversation where someone wants to bring someone into an interview and they're like, well, let's get their opinion. And, you know, and you have to ask the question, why? Right. And And there's a number of reasons, you know, I think in the context of bias, yeah, that a lot of times you sit in that room and it's really, everybody's just trying to kind of match up with whoever the highest ranking person in the committee is, <laughs> you know, and it can get, it can actually get very political and very uncomfortable to the point that I've been in those conversations and a number of times where people are like, well, our opinion doesn't really matter anyways. What does the, you know, what does the main person think? 
Right. And, what are you going to do? Disagree with your boss in front right. of everybody? Like, yeah. Are you going to going to pick yeah. a fight with your boss if they if they do not like this person because they yep. made a random comment about a sports team they don't like? You know, like like yep. I mean, it's those things happen, yeah. whether we want to admit it or not. Yep. Um, it's usually it's in those in between moments, like Alfonso said. So, a good example is he and I and our vice president of capacity building, Tyree often do hires together because of the kind of side of the company that's growing right now for us. And we all model rather than call each other out. So I know in a recent hire, I said, I'm going to really practice not making assumptions about any of these candidates' tech ability based on their age. Because mm. I know that's a, that's a bias I have based on how good my parents are at tech, right? Based on how good my nieces are at tech, right? And so it's not being like wholly uninformed, but it's saying, hey, I know I have to watch myself while we talk about these folks because I've never met them and I already have opinions. And then Alfonso and Tyree will go through and do the same, right? Rather, it's like I'm practicing not having favorites or feeling closer to people who lived in cities I live in or who went to the same college, right? So we're all just saying, yeah, here's what's sort of front of mind for me that's in my awareness so that we can cut it off at the pass before it influences our decision making. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, to call that out at the beginning, that's so different than at the end after you've, you know, you've gone through and you've kind of funneled down to two or three candidates and you're having the conversation and, and, you know, and you have that implicit bias and then somebody calls it out and says, oh, by the way, this, you know, this person is this age and this person is that age. Well, well, that shouldn't matter. And then, <laughs> and then you're like, oh crap, did we get rid of all these other candidates that could have been great? You know, it's, it's almost like you, if you don't call it out in the beginning, you have, you have just naturally added bias into your process. Um, yeah, I think that's a really important point because so many times, you know, we started in the beginning by saying we wrote Hiring Revolution because people kept asking us how to diversify their searches. Those questions usually came when they were facing a finalist pool that was way more homogenous than they had hoped for. And they were effectively saying, what happened? How did we get here? How is it that with all these goals and all these intentions, we ended up with a super homogenous, mostly white, mostly male candidate uh, finalist pool? And the truth is, you weren't talking about it enough earlier in the process. And so you kept making decisions through those biases. And so this is the exact result you set yourself up for. Um, goals and intentions, you know, don't matter at this point. Right. Um, and so it's, it's absolutely way too late to start having that conversation when you're staring at, well, I'm picking between these three, four people. <laughs> so the, right. the whole second part of the book is um, us showing our work. So think about it like being in an eighth grade math class, <laughs> right? We're trying to be really good teachers. Um, we just show you everything. So it's why there's 20 plus tools, it's templates, it's starter emails, it's um, examples of what you can have in your application process, it's sample questions, right? So this idea of just, it has to start way at the beginning, and then you have to stay conscious each step along the way. And so we don't think any of what we were up to feels like a secret, so we were just ready to show everybody, right? And it's how we have the mixed team we do. And none of it is about political correctness. Alfonso and I have a shared value, which is to only ever hire people smarter than us. 
So they're smarter than us in some way. That's why they're being added to the team. I absolutely will know more than somebody, but like we're bringing them because they're adding value. And so another tool we have in the um, uh, book that we're getting a lot of positive feedback on is the readiness and value add matrix. So um, in this analysis, we just say, okay, great. How do you know readiness? And then you stop talking about readiness. People are either ready or they're not. Great. And then what is the unique value add? So we start talking about candidates as the assets they're bringing to our team rather than the deficiencies that means they haven't earned the right to be here. And so it does help you take stock of your current context um, and helps to do that compare and contrast rather than rank order. Because at that point, everybody's ready. They're all just different. Absolutely. And we are... Gosh, we're just starting to scratch the surface, but we are coming to the end of our time together. So I'm going to leave it there. That is, this is the teaser trailer. Go get the book. Check out the website. The website is hiringrevolutionbook.com. There's a ton of great content out there. I was uh, preparing for this, and I'm like, oh, that's great. This is good. This is oh, I like this. <laughs> um, so so check it out. Uh, with that, we're going to shift gears into the Rebel HR flash round. So three quick questions here. Um, and I will start with Alfonso. Um, and there was no implicit bias there. It's just because you're on the left side of my screen. So, <laughs> all right. I'm calling that His out. His name is first in the alphabet. We do it that way too. Okay. That works too. Okay. All right. Uh, question number one, what is your favorite people book? I have a bunch right now. It is the booklet. We will not cancel us by Adrian Marie Brown. It's all, all about call out culture and our obsession with public punishment and how that is not getting us closer to our goals. Hmm. All right, Trina, what is your favorite book? Um, so this scared my friend the other day when he was at my house and saw it on my bookshelf. It's called die empty. Um, and so uh, I believe it's Todd Henry. I really love it because it is about how to live in vocation um, and get all your goodies out before you're gone. So that's one that that speaks to me, but is a little nerve wracking for other people. Die empty. Yeah, that's uh, that. The title is definitely shocking, but um, sounds like begin with the end in mind. You know, you, <laughs> you rebrand that. You could HR that up a little bit, but yeah, I love that. And uh, um, yeah, good to have that perspective. All right, question number two, Alfonso. Who should we be listening to? Um, for anybody that cares about structural racism, you've got to listen to Seen on Radio Season 2. Um, the series is called Seeing White. So it's Seen, S-C-E-N-E, on radio. Um, Seeing White is the series. It's Season 2. It's a couple years old, but it's... Um, John Bewin and Chandrai Kumanika, and they do a great job of just uh, a 10-part crash course on structural racism. All right, perfect. Trina, who should we be listening to? So I'm obsessed lately with the podcast Maintenance Phase. Um, Michael Hobbs and Aubrey Gordon, um, they are incredible researchers, and they talk a lot about bodies. And so I think what's interesting is in this time, we are all being asked to be much better consumers of information. And they do a great job of saying, yeah, we're being told a lot of half statistics in sort of headlines. You got to dig deeper and understand. So um, I love their work. Absolutely. Yeah. You can't just read the headline and then post on Facebook. That doesn't count. <laughs> all right. 
Uh, I'll open this up to both of you. How can our listeners connect with you? So uh, you can find us on Twitter at Team Dynamics LLC. You can tweet the podcast at Behave Podcast. And I am at Alfonso Winker. Um, we're also on Instagram at Team Dynamics MN. And my Instagram and Twitter are Trina C. Olson, O-L-S-O-N. It's the sweeter spelling. So just, you know, find me that way. O-N, not E-N. Got it. You got it. <laughs> awesome. And we will have all that information in the show notes so people can uh, just open up your podcast player, click in there. Uh, you can find the book, uh, connect, you know, such great content here. I appreciate the effort, the research, uh, the data-driven approach, and the call to action. Uh, and I think that uh, as a listener, uh, you know, I would call all of, uh, all of you out there in Rebel HR land to uh, check out the book, think about the world a little bit differently and question your processes, question what you do, question how you set up uh, your, uh, your candidates for success, regardless of whatever characteristics they may have. So thank you so much for, uh, for writing the book and thank you for joining me today. Uh, have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you. All right, that does it for the Rebel HR Podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.